Our first scripture reading this morning was Isaiah chapter 5. In chapter 5, we have some help with the history and with the context. But I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that today because that's what we spent weeks covering leading up to last week. So I'm not going to rehash it all, but know that we're in the same time period as Hosea last week. That they were contemporaries as prophets. And both communities, Israel and Judah, were looking at incoming destruction from the Assyrian Empire and from these powers growing around them. I will add the same caveat that I did add last week. That this passage, just like Hosea, is looking at ancient Israel, the northern kingdom, ancient Judah, the southern kingdom. This is not a modern-day commentary. But I want you to think about the stories that we've heard about God continually trying to create a community that is, is just, is, is life-giving, is graceful, is communal, and people continually rejecting and taking advantage of one another and hurting each other. With that in your mind, let's listen to Isaiah 5 one more time. I will sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it, cleared it of stones, planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes. So, so far everything done was good for the good of the vineyard, right? But it yielded rotten grapes. And now inhabitants of Jerusalem and people of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? When I expected it to yield grapes, why did it yield rotten grapes? And now I will tell you what I will do to my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. I will make it a wasteland. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and it shall be overgrown with briars and thorns. I will also command the clouds that they rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are his cherished garden. He expected justice, but saw bloodshed. Righteousness, but heard a cry. In the children's moment, we spoke about God as parent. Language that we hear throughout Scripture, we specifically hear God described as Father 15 times in the Old Testament, and it is much more prevalent in the New Testament. But even in the Old Testament, God as a parent to the people, creator of the community, is a consistent theme, even if the specific language is not always the same. The story of Christ invokes the familial theme so strongly that it is a key element of the story of the birth of Christ and why we so often refer to Jesus as the Son. You cannot remove the familial component. The thing is, being a parent, while wonderful, can sometimes be incredibly hard. And I know many of us know this, while that is direct parent, or as I referenced earlier, uh, kind of parent by community, and that we still have the jobs or the roles or the task or the opportunity to help look over, protect, and nurture children as they grow. And I think one of the hardest things, the hardest thing I know for me, is figuring out where that line is and where do you want to shield and protect and be like that mother hen with your wings, 
And when do you have to take a seat back and say, they got to learn how to deal with this? Or they got to learn that if they try that trick on their bike, they're got to skin their knees. Or they got to learn, if you're watching maybe your child being bullied a little bit, you say, well, I can't jump in and protect them every time. At some point, they have to know how they can respond or how they can go find help. And when we try to draw that line, sometimes I think we probably draw it pretty well. And sometimes in hindsight, we say, I should have stepped in sooner. Or sometimes in hindsight, we say, why did I jump up and run into the middle of the field? The game was still going on. That's not my job. That's not what I'm supposed to be doing. There's a coach for that, right? We have to know, or we have to try to know, when we can protect them, when we can't overprotect, and perhaps in the back of our head that we can't keep them in the nest forever. You know, I have not sent a child off to college. I've gone off to college, but I can't help but thinking back to this, looking at Isaiah 5. Perhaps if we redid some of the language and looking back on it, what if it's a, we were in a great school district, I signed you up for those extracurriculars, I showed you love at home, I tried to do all this stuff, but then you go off to college and I have to take a step back and you're going across the country and I know I can't protect you, I can't have the wall around you anymore. I'm not in control of what choices you make and where you go. I can't set a curfew for you if you're going to be in New York. Right? We know that we have that time when we can't protect even if we still have that desire to. And we see that loss, that hurt, the broken promise, the broken covenant so fully on display in chapter 5. But in chapter 11, we hear the hope, we hear the promise that while there's absolutely an element of pain and loss, a sorrow accompanied with it, that's only chapter 5. There's more. Let's listen again to chapter 11 about the promise, the hope of what God wants to see. A shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord. Do any of those spirits sound familiar? We've been saying them the last five weeks in the call to worship. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or by what his ears hear, but with righteousness he shall judge for the poor and decide with equity for the oppressed of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist and faithfulness the belt around his loins. It starts off with a stump, a shoot shall come out from the stump of Jesse. If we think about a stump, well, what I first think of is there was this uh, shaved ice place in, in New Orleans. You can't call it a snow cone or you will be judged wicked. A shaved ice place, and it was a little booth, and outside they had just like 40 tree stumps. And that was the seating. So you went and got shade ice, and then you sat on a stump. But if we think about what a stump symbolizes or what it looks like, and think about the context of the gardener and the vineyard, this has been cut down, right? It's death, it's loss, it's gone. There's nothing else coming out of this stump. 
but something does. And it says the stump of Jesse, and we know Jesse as King David's father, right? If we did it five seconds ago, we do now. Jesse as King David's father. And chapter 11 here speaks to what God desires, to God's dream of justice, of righteousness, of faithfulness. And it's not just a dream for an individual, but it's a dream for a community. And we see this dream for the community consistent from the very beginning of the covenantal relationship. We see this in creation. We see it in Genesis 1. We see it in Genesis 2. We see it in the Ten Commandments. And we see it in Christ. We see through it all that God's dream, also the title of the book we used last week. See how it's all coming together? We see that God's dream is expansive. That it continues to grow and get bigger and bigger and bigger. If we continue kind of the thread through Scripture, so for me it's left to right. I'll do this for you. The thread, so if it's your left to right, right? The thread throughout Scripture, we're going to jump to Paul's letter to the Romans. Chapter 15, 7 through 13. Verses 7 to 13. Welcome one another, therefore, just as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the circumcised on behalf of the truth of God, in order that he might confirm the promises given to the ancestors, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will confess you among the Gentiles and sing praises to your name. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the people praise him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse shall come, the one who tries to rule the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles shall hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. The dream Paul expresses here in Romans is for the community to be expansive, to be inclusive. Those in the Jewish faith, which is what the circumcised refers to, and to the Gentiles, which means everybody else. So if you have everybody and everybody else, in the end, who are you talking about? Everybody, right? A community that welcomes all, that upholds justice, not vengeful justice, but justice for equity, justice to lift up the powerless, the voiceless, those who have been ignored. But there's a problem with this. The problem is is that if we as Christians see the prophecy of Isaiah as a messianic prophecy, a prophecy pointing to Jesus, and we say, when Jesus comes, everything will be good, everything will be right, everything will be perfect, then we can say, Jesus came 2,000 years ago. Is everything today right? Is everything today good? Is everything today perfect? There is good, absolutely, but we know it's not all good. Even if we can pretend like it is for an hour on Sunday morning, we go out and our lives and the news and our communities and family life and friends, everything is there to remind us it's not all perfect. Where is that righteousness that we were promised? Where is that justice? Where is that equity? The answer is thankfully pretty simple. Jesus ain't done yet. That's the southern part of me coming. I was there for a few years. Jesus ain't done yet. 
Well, that means is the work is not complete, that the return of Jesus is ongoing. And that's an exciting thing. Because if we look at it as Jesus already came and went and it's done, it already happened. What does what we do matter at all? If we look at it as Jesus is coming back and then it will be done and we're just tapping our toes, biding our time, then what does any of this matter to me? But, but, if we confess that Jesus is the living Lord who is still alive and present, not just at the table and at the font, but in our lives, in our homes, in our communities, And if we confess that God is the living God who is still creating among us, and if we confess that the Spirit is still blessing and moving and encouraging and calling and beckoning us, then we see that we have a tremendous opportunity to be a part of what we want to see in our world. And that's exciting. That's exciting knowing that what you, what me, what we do can make a difference. There's faith in their freedom in knowing that ultimately, yes, everything is in God's hands. It's not up to you or me to bring Jesus here. But we're invited to be there for it. And we're invited to join hands and to walk forward. We're invited to help fill up the baskets with food, right? We're invited to help pack lunches or to sit around tables discussing what are the ways that we can be the community that God is promising there will be. We have tremendous opportunities in front of us. And one thing that I always remember in passages such as these where God's like, I want so much good for you, but bad's coming. I still love you. I think back to what my mother has always told me. I'm the youngest of two children. And her words to me, maybe some of you have heard similar phrases or used the exact same. It's, you'll always be my baby. You heard things or heard that to the babies of the family, probably have heard that around too, right? You'll always be my baby. The reason that in here I often use language such as God's children and about siblings and family is we will always be God's children. Even when we skin our knees or a whole lot worse, God still loves us. We're still family, and there's still something we can do today to make a difference for today and tomorrow. Amen? Amen.